Hello, everybody, and welcome to Public Health Musings. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Kingori, a faculty member and public health researcher at Ohio University. We are happy you could join us. Today, we are joined by Sarah Diangui, a public health analyst with Health Resources Services Administration, HARSA, in the Division of Regional Operations based out of Chicago, Illinois. She has over 15 years of experience in public health administration, behavioral health services, research and evaluation. In this role, she manages the National Health Services Corps and collaborates with community health programs and federally qualified health centers as part of our grant portfolio that responds to public health needs. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Great. So you do have a master's in public health. And as you know, this um, program is focusing on public health and looking at different ways that people practice public health, but also mm -hmm. how public health um, works together with the community and influences um, the community as well as motivating us to work collaboratively with communities. So could you tell us a little bit of what motivated you to pursue public health? Growing up, um, growing up in Kenya, I was able to see how social disparities affect health of communities. And starting from a small age, or a young age, I knew that I wanted to work in a clinical setting or in healthcare in a way that I could be able to help bridge the gap in these disparities. So that was my first was probably in seventh or eighth grade. Um, and even through high school, I, I knew for sure that I, I wanted to work in a setting where I was able to bridge the gap. Now in high school, I wasn't so sure about public health, but I was able, I was able to explore other things like accounting, business, um, sciences, and once I graduated and came to the U.S. to pursue my undergraduate, I had the opportunity for, to take the general education classes the first year. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a chance to figure out what I wanted to go into. Did I still want to pursue whether it was law school or accounting or going to nursing? Um, and during my general education classes, I was fortunate to take a class in gender identities and that is how I decided to stick with psychology for my undergraduate. I was able to understand my interests better and having mentors and having a student advisor was also very helpful for me to hone in on what my interests really were. I, am, I was very interested in working in mental health, behavioral health, and especially working with people living with HIV in terms of treatment adherence. So working in psychology offered me that opportunity. Awesome. Um, so I see now that you are a public health analyst. Um, could you tell us how you got here? So there's, there's the long way of how I got here. <laughs> I worked in an Alzheimer's unit for a long time about three years while I was going uh, to school for my undergraduate. And unfortunately, I had a car accident and I couldn't work in a clinical setting anymore. I was not allowed to stay on my feet or lift more than 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that has been a building process and I'm doing well now for many years. Uh, but at that point, I had to stop working at the Alzheimer's unit. And because I was just about to graduate, I had two semesters remaining. I looked for a work-study program within the school. I went to Wright State University here in Ohio. And I found um, a job through work-study as a data entry. Um, and once I started, it was... It was like things, just ducks falling in a row. I started working there and I realized I was working for an HIV program in, at a community health organization within the, the, the school. And I, I couldn't believe it. At first I thought, wow, how did this happen? And when I graduated, they asked me if I wanted to stay on and work as a research assistant. So I stayed on. Um, and when I decided to pursue graduate school, one of the mentors who worked there, the director at the time, asked me, what would you like to do once you're done with school? What career path do you want? So I was able to explain to him from my background and my interests that I've always wanted to work for WHO. I've always wanted to work for the UN or CDC or something similar. And so he brought up public health to me. We had many people in my organization who had public health and I didn't know very much about it other than I knew their titles. They had the MPH. Uh, so I was able to explore more and with his assistance, I decided to pursue public health because it gave me the career path that I wanted. Great. So in your current role, uh, what exactly do you do? My current role has changed over the years and I got to HRSA in 2008, in the fall of 2008. And in this role, I work with um, clinicians as well as federal qualified health centers that we call FQHCs and community health organizations in making sure that we increase access to care. Uh, and this is primary care, dental care, uh, substance use, as well as behavioral health. What we do in our office is we are funded regionally. So I'm in region five that covers the Midwest. And we make sure in our region that we have, we are attracting enough clinical staff from physicians to licensed clinical social workers, um, to nurses, nurse practitioners, especially, and attracting them to these areas that have a greater need. And we do that by offering incentives for loan repayment. They have to apply for this. And once um, someone is funded, they have to stay at their current position for two years. We, we try and give out incentives that encourage people to stay long-term. And we have a good success rate, about 70% of our participants who are the clinical staff that we attract to these areas actually stay long-term, even after our loan repayment program is over. The other thing we do with federally health qualified centers, as well as the community health programs, is give them funding when something, when there is a new need or something arises, like we had the opioid crisis in Ohio and all over the Midwest. So we would have specific funding just for that. And right now we're also working with COVID-19 and while doing a special out of cycle funding, for people to go and work in those areas of high need. 
Okay, great. So it looks like you have been able to dab in different um, roles, even with um, your experiences. Mm-hmm. And you previously talked about HIV testing and counseling. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted for you to explain how you are able to come into that role um, and what kind of training did you receive? So as I was completing my master's program, I stayed at Wright State University and they had offered me an opportunity as a caseworker at that point. Um, I had to undergo a lot of training because I was not a licensed social worker. So at first, the county provides uh, training for hepatitis and HIV testing and counseling. And then you have to have a certificate that they renew every about six months uh, to make sure that you're adhering to their protocol. Um, I had to take training for other social services in terms of helping people getting their social service services benefits, um, getting new IDs when people come from prison or jail, stability in housing, all the other um, things that caseworkers are able to do, even providing childcare or job assistance to our clients. Uh, This helped me be able to see the disparities and how we can, even with data, how we can focus our efforts in different populations or neighborhoods. And while I was working in, in Ohio as a research assistant, I had access to this data and I was helping with writing papers or writing um, new grant awards. So this really helped me see the intersection of data and testing and raising awareness, education and different programs and how they intersect. For instance, if I can give you an example, um, people have a higher risk when they don't have stability in housing. So when you think of people uh, who are living with other mental health diseases or problems, and they have co-occurring disorders, for instance, substance use disorders and mental health, and they do not have housing, they are at higher risk when they're already homeless, living in shelters or living outside. Uh, they're at higher risk even for crime. And so helping them with stability in housing helps them also in terms of treatment adherence, whether it's for treatment for substance use or treatment for HIV or AIDS. Um, And that helped me so much in terms of realizing that I wanted to pursue this. Behavioral health is a really big interest for me. And I wanted to stick with behavioral health because I could see the I could see the impact that we have as public health officials in our communities. Great. And I I like that you point out that intersection of data um, and how to address health issues. So could you speak briefly about how the information that you collected, how was that translated back to the community to help, um, you know, with motivating them into action to help address those health issues? Um, Did you have an opportunity um, to maybe do focus groups or interviews or maybe town hall meetings Mm -hmm. um, to just get a feel of what the community um, understands by those health issues that we often find um, through secondary data, you know, from the CDC reports, uh, from WHO reports. What, how did that, did the community respond to what 
you were collecting and what you were finding? We had the opportunity every time we were writing a grant program, we had our grant application, we had the opportunity to do town hall meetings so that we can get community engagement and partnership. A lot of grant programs are successful when they are able to have memorandum of understanding with other agencies around the same community. So what we would do is use our data to show them what the need is per zip code in our neighborhoods or in our local general area. And we would show them these are the services we provide. And if we work together, because we worked with like United Way and they provided job training as well as job placement, we worked with the shelter, which we we were, we were able to assist them in people receiving benefits or even getting stability in housing or getting into substance use treatment. We were able to do that as caseworkers. We also worked with uh, faith groups, faith-based organizations to make sure that while they were conducting their services, for instance, um, food pantries, that they were able to give referrals to people to come either to the shelter or come to our program for testing and we would work together. So we be, we became a network where we would refer our individuals to each other and making sure that we we're not duplicating efforts because then when you're applying for funding, federal funding especially, you want to have those memorandum of understanding so that you're able to gain more traction in your area in terms of funding and also having duplicate data actually diminishes the impact of your work. Great. And did you have any challenges that you could speak about in trying to rally the communities to work with you? Yes. Um, in every community, and this is not unique to one community, but the challenges are always bringing people to the table and having the skill set needed from one organization to another. Um, every community or every community organization has big challenges and especially for funding, they also wanna stay in business even though they are 501c um, groups, they also wanna stay in business. So when it comes to funding, it can be difficult on whose name will this application be in which organization do we apply as the community or do we apply as just one organization even though you have the memorandum of understanding it doesn't guarantee them any funding so for every grant cycle that was available we would have to have a vote for which organization would be able to apply next just to decrease the competition and also encourage people to work together because as much as clinical staff and the the caseworkers are out there doing the work. When it comes to leadership, that's a very different arena. And every organization would be would like to be the one in control. Right. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, so I know that your role requires you to work with organizations in both rural and urban cities. Um, what does public health look like in those contexts? That's a great question. Um, Working with rural communities has been a great opportunity for me since coming to HRSA, mostly because I get to work closer to the community in this role. Compared to my last role, uh, I was in the 
I was still in, at a federal agency, but I didn't work directly with the grantees. So in this role, working with rural communities, I've been able to travel around and in the Midwest and see what disparities exist. And it's not every, every community is not the same, even in rural settings. Some communities are very influenced by the industry in that area. So for instance, a community that has mining might have more access to care than another that has um, like, like for instance, there's one of my communities that does manufacturing uh, and they do manufacturing for farming tools and farming machinery. They don't have as much in terms of access to care compared to the mining area. So what the industries influence is how much resources that community has in terms of building hospitals, attracting uh, different people to come and live there. So even as we are providing the incentives for loan repayment programs, people are more drawn to bigger cities compared to smaller communities where even having a Walmart or a movie theater is miles and miles away. So what those industries have helped us realize is even though these urban and rural settings, those industries play a big role in terms of resources in that community. So when we are looking at our data in how we are going to fund an area, we also look at how should we be able to open a federally qualified health center in places where the industries are not playing a major role versus in urban settings they have the public transport is usually better than the rural settings um, people are able to access the care the problem with the urban settings is usually can i afford to see a doctor or can i afford to miss work um, so we've been able to help even with incentives for the patients themselves to be able to get to their appointments whether it's bus tokens or giving them a stipend because they miss work and they are day laborers or hourly pay. Uh, we've been able to look at the data and compare one rural setting, setting versus another, and as well as urban settings, if it's an area that has higher crime or if it's an area that has a bigger industry versus another metropolitan area that has um, where the hospital or the clinics even provide transportation by van. They pick you up and they drop you back to your office or to work. So it hasn't been such a, a barrier for people to receive care. Wonderful. And so you've talked a bit about, or you've mentioned the federally qualified health mm -hmm. centers. Could you tell us what that is and what do they do and what role do they play in public health? In general so federally health qualified health centers are in every state and also in tribal um, areas and that the role that they play is that they receive federal funding usually under a block grant and we'll go over that as well um, where they're they're primarily there to provide primary care general primary care um, behavioral care and dental care to make sure that on a federal um, level that the government has made sure that there are enough clinics in each area for people to have access. One of the barriers for federally health centers 
is that they do not provide specialized care or any surgical care. So for those more specialized issues, people would still have to travel out of their location to go and find care at a bigger hospital. But for the everyday appointments in behavioral care or general primary care, and sometimes we do have uh, women's health included, and dentistry is also included. Great. And you talked about block grants. What does that mean? So it's a stream of funding coming from the federal government that is mandated based on a formula. The formula is usually based on um, demographic or the population in a particular area. And this is mandated for each state. Some of the funding goes directly to the states and the states have they have the authority to either give sub awards or use it for social services around the state compared to when we have discretionary grants or cooperative agreements. Uh, these are the same discretionary and cooperative agreements where that's competitive and the state can write a grant application or a community health organization, a faith-based organization can write an application and they can all receive funding and it's just based on our criteria. Uh, they're reviewed, scored, and then the highest scores receive the funding until it runs out. But block grants are standard issue and they're based on the demographic of the area. Great. And so we've really talked quite a bit about funding and the importance uh, or the role it plays in um, public health um, as well as community engagement. So could you tell us um, what do you think is the intersection of public health and policy? I would say public health and policy play a major role in how funding is distributed. Um, that would be the most important that I, I can think of. So, for instance, when we talk about the new in this new administration, we have the we have the program for ending HIV. Funding right now is distributed not only by discretionary funds, but also based on where there's the highest numbers of incidents and policy is what drives that. How is, how is the funding going to be distributed also? In terms of policy, we we talk about how once we have funding, what programs are allowed. Remember, um, during different administration, we've had where needle exchange was considered, which is something that happens in Canada, but it never really took off in the U.S. It has it has been used and implemented in smaller communities, sometimes by zip code, depending on the funding they got, but generally speaking on a federal level, it never really took off because of policy. And this is where um, our policymakers do not believe that we should be helping people with injecting drugs. So then the drug injection or drug exchange program never took off, the injection exchange program, I should say, never took off. Another way I would think of policy, for instance, right now uh, with COVID pandemic, we are all working from home. Even I'm working from home 100% at the moment, but our programs cannot stop because we are providing the clinical staff and we're also funding the community health centers. So what we are charged with 
is making sure that we have enough um, clinical staff in those areas and that we provide protocols that make sure that our staff are safe even when they return back home to their families uh, to keep these programs going and be able to address the issue at hand with COVID-19 at the moment. We've had policy even with opioid um, use disorders where we are preventing suicide and where we are also making sure that we give enough we, we give enough training to physicians as well as emergency response on how to use life-saving treatments for people with opioid overdoses or addiction. So I think policy plays a major role in how we implement our programs in public health. Great, and you've talked about how funding is allocated um, to different states or different regions. Um, could you elaborate a little bit about that and tell us about the pros and cons for that type of okay. allocation? So for, like we had mentioned before, there's two types of funding, block grant and discretionary. Mm -hmm. So the block grants are based on usually a statistical criteria. And like I mentioned before, it's usually based on the demographic um, or the, the density in one area and what the need is. This also allows the state more autonomy on whether they allocate funding to sub-awards and they use the data, data in their states to decide how they allocate that funding or they can manage the funding and they, they would be able to implement a program across the state. So it gives the state more autonomy on how they can use their funds. While discretionary, the autonomy is more on the federal agency. So the money comes down from Congress and then it's distributed to all these agencies. So let's talk of HHS, for instance, Health and Human Services. Once they have discretionary dollars, they can decide whether this amount is going to HIV, this amount is going to prevention, and this amount is going to treatment. Once they decide that they have the autonomy of how much funding is assigned to a particular project, um, once they decide that, then that's competitive. Every organization or state would apply um, for the grant award. Once they're funded, both of them, block and discretionary, they have the same reporting requirements and they are all governed by the federal project officers. So when it comes to reporting, we report at the same time annually uh, back to Congress. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. So with all this information, um, what have you, what do you like about what you do? Um, what are some of the highlights of your job and of your public health training? Oh, I've had so many highlights. Um, it's been very rewarding being in public health, I must say. Um, just being able to follow what you've always dreamt of doing. And the most impact that I have seen is when I'm closest to grantees or when I am a grantee myself and I'm able to work in the community. Mm -hmm. That has been the greatest uh, rewarding and fulfilling part of this career. 
and I look forward to even even though we work in administration now at the federal level, I look forward to where our policies can be translated back into data because it takes a while. Sometimes it takes two years, sometimes it takes five or 10 years to be able to see the impact of one policy statewide or federal wide or nationwide. Um, so I'm looking forward to that day where any policy that I've been part of implementation, being able to translate it through data and see the impact at the end. So there's a lot to look forward to, and there's been a lot that I've been able to learn. Um, when I got into public health just from the beginning, um, I still had a very narrow view of what I would be able to do or what public health in general would be able to do. Because back um, even 10 years ago, public health was still seen as complementary to other science. And as the years have gone by where there's epidemiology, there's the research, um, there's the data that's now more available than it used to be before, we are able to see that public health is actually at the forefront when it comes to prevention, awareness, education. Um, all of these things are spearheaded on the public health side. Yes, we have other sciences like medicine or even nursing that have a huge impact on the health of our communities, but where we focus our energy and where we have emerging issues, public health has been at the forefront. And one example I can think of where that was very prevalent was during the mass shootings where public health was actually called to spearhead the emergency response. So they are able to use all these other sciences and make sure that the intersection of health and policy and other, for instance, even with COVID and other people that we need to work together uh, to make sure that we have safety of our population. So could you talk a little bit more about how COVID has changed or how things are still the same even with the pandemic right now, I know you talked about how you still mm -hmm. have to reach out to the communities um, and how you have to ensure that the clinical workers or community workers are protected. Is there anything else that you have had to adjust to or the, you know, the, your federal agency, what, what else are they doing um, to In my to particular position, uh, in response to COVID-19, we have not been able to conduct any site visits. So at this point, because of no travel, what we can do is conduct video conferences. And it's been something new to get used to in terms of reviewing documents through video, because we have some documents that are not, we're not allowed to send through email because of privacy. So as we conduct the site visits, we're able to be there in person and review documentation, walk through the hallways, see how the patient interaction with the clinicians is going. But right now, with uh, with only the video capabilities, we are not able to review everything. Um, but it has taken some getting used to. And also, I think it's an opportunity for the federal agencies and their, and their grantees to form closer relationships. Because right now, um, 
the grantees have many questions and they have rising needs and we have to be able to anticipate what their needs are and keeping that dialogue open to make sure that we are responding at the right time. Great. Have there been any new funding streams or mechanisms that are targeting yes. COVID? There is right a now? lot of funding currently, uh, even just with HRSA, not in my particular division, but there's a lot of funding for COVID-19. And if you go to our website, our hersa.gov website, you'd be able to find all the funding and requirements for people responding to COVID-19, including providing the personal protective equipment. Great. So what advice would you give to someone who's interested in pursuing the field of public? I would say find a good mentor, find someone with experience um, and find more than one person to even have an interview with. If possible, job shadow where you can, especially while you're still in school and you're required to have hours of practice, use those hours wisely and diversify. If if in one semester you work at a hospital, the next semester work at, with a research entity, the next semester work at a state office, try and diversify your experience so that by the time you're done, you know where you want to be and where you personally have the greatest impact. Uh, public health is very, very diverse and there are so many avenues where we can have great impact, but we need people who are motivated uh, because many times, unless there is a big pandemic, many times public health takes a backseat, not because we want to, but because it, it will take a cultural shift or a cultural change for people to realize the importance of public health. And I think it's coming. I, I think it has been for the last maybe even 10 years, public health has definitely made great strides in and people have seen the importance. But I would say get a good mentor and job shadow interview and find out more and more about the different avenues that you can have an impact with. Wonderful. So do you see yourself pursuing more in the public health field or uh, what are your future My future plans? plans actually, I would love to go back to graduate school. And in the last year, I've been more focused on trying to hone in on which, um, what my research would be. I'm still very heavily uh, leaning towards behavioral health or mental health. Um, to be more specific and also looking for funding and opportunities where I'm able to still pursue my career and also uh, go to school or attend graduate school. So that's my goal for right now. Um, another major goal that I've had for a while is to have some international experience. And I'm hoping that my current experience with rural health can be translated um, to international opportunities in the future. Great. 
and I think that's possible given that I do some international uh, what we call global health work I think the key is having those uh, basic skills that I, you already have um, and you know finding an agency a university a partner um, who you can yes. in, you know interact and network with and and then when once you join grad school and maybe pursue a project right. that you can do globally it's possible for this for this dream to come to pass and as you know uh, we are here to support you and to help you in any way we can and definitely wish you the best as you uh, plan to further your studies and to expand thank more, you so much um, thanks for the encouragement um, I really appreciate this opportunity to share my story as well